0: This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living
1: color on WTDR.
0: I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together.
1: Lying on your back in the garage. You can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton wool clouds, higher and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with sun. higher and higher, filling it I'm quite mad, don't
0: they? It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I say God.
1: How do you like that?
0: The fault, dear Buddhist, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good luck. We care about your world. My guest is Mark Anthony, he's an Oxford educated attorney and world-renowned psychic medium who communicates with the spirits of dead people. And he's the author of numerous books, including Never Letting Go, Evidence of Eternity, and his new book that we'll be talking about is The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life. First off, I loved this book and the stories you told and the new emerging science around all of this.
1: Oh, thank you. I believe that the time for this book is now.
0: Say more about that.
1: Well, for centuries, when viewing the afterlife, people have been put in two corners. You know, imagine a boxing ring, okay? And so people of faith are in one corner, people of science have been in the other. And this pretty much started during the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment would be in the, you know, the 17th to 18th centuries, and that's where science, modern science, really began to take form, and, you know, especially with Sir Isaac Newton, and... So the people of faith looked at the the science crowd as a bunch of heretical, if not blasphemous atheists who dared to say that uh, there is no such thing as an afterlife. And people in the science corner looked at people of faith as, as wallowing in primitive fear-based superstitions. But with the advent of quantum physics at the dawn of the 20th century and up until today, we're beginning to see that we can bridge the divide between faith and science and that eternal life doesn't violate the laws of physics. And so what I've done is I began analyzing the different forms of spirit communication. It's you know, there many people feel and that they've received communication from their loved ones in spirit, whether it's through a visitation in a dream or whether they feel their presence. And then people come to me and to my colleagues who are mediums and we facilitate connection. But then there's also been near death experiences. And another phenomenon that we're studying, which is shared death experiences and deathbed visions, and then there's people that engage in in out of body experiences where they're able to take their consciousness and you know project it from beyond uh, the physical confines of the body. And the thing is, Tonio, that these phenomena have been traditionally treated like items on a salad bar. You know, they're, they're all separate. Mediumship's over here, visitations over there, deathbed visions over there. The truth of the matter is that they're all related. That there's a common denominator between all of these different forms of spirit communication. It can all be explained through science. And that all of them have the common denominator of energy transfer and alignment of frequency. And so I wrote the afterlife frequency for many reasons. But one of which was to bridge the divide between faith and science to show that life truly is eternal because life is energy and we know from the laws of physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed only transferred from one form to another
0: mm-hmm. so you said that eternal life doesn't violate science or physics but that doesn't necessarily mean that it proves it
1: i i respectfully disagree because, see, the thing is about science, it's not a static state. And what was science fiction yesterday is often the science fact of today. I mean, Tonio, if we could go into a time machine and go back to the year 1900 and try to explain a microwave oven to people in the year 1900, there's a box that if you put some corn kernels in and press a button, it'll it'll make them into popcorn or it'll boil water a couple water in under a minute that would have been you know completely uh pseudoscience that would have been fantastical because there simply wasn't the technology at that time to develop such a thing and in the past 50 years since the 1970s actually it started in the 1960s the university of georgia with dr ian stevenson founded the division of perceptual studies and the division of perceptual studies has eventually encompass now the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And uh, then Dr. Raymond Moody coined the term near-death experiences. And so what happened at UVA and through Dr. Moody is that the scientific method of objective analysis was applied to survival of consciousness. So now five decades later, we are seeing phenomenon and observing phenomenon that's been reported for centuries. And now we're getting closer and closer to the technology that actually will be able to not only detect the presence of spirits, but directly communicate. Mm
0: -hmm. The science that you talked about in the book that you wrote about was absolutely fascinating. I, I have been fascinated with the new emerging science for decades. And, you know, throughout my life, there have been numerous times when i felt like i was being guided and protected from the mysterious side of life you know you call it the other side um of course there's there's no real separation in there as as you imply in, in what you were saying earlier
1: no there isn't and the easiest way i think to understand this is think of our world okay the world that we live in i call it the material world the material world dimension consider that am radio and the other side, or the afterlife frequency, to be FM radio. Now, you know w- when you're walking around a room, you can't you know tell the difference between an AM radio wave hitting you versus an FM radio wave hitting you. Okay, but when it comes to the the frequency, um, both systems coincide. Both of them involve energy, vibration, and frequency. And so what happens is when we die, our consciousness, our soul, transfers from AM radio to the FM radio. And there are times when AM and FM frequencies overlap. And that's what spirit communication is. There's like a zone in between, and it's not a zone of distance. In other words, the other side, the afterlife, is not orbiting Alpha Centauri four light years away. It's right here. And it's all a matter of adjusting frequency. And this is not as far-fetched as it seems. You know, I've, I've been studying this for decades. And also as a medium, I experience it. That's, you know, why spirits can come through so, so quickly. Um, that's one of the reasons I developed the term the electromagnetic soul. That's one of the, the new terms that I'm introducing in the book. Because every great belief system whether it's you know the Hindus of ancient India, um, Hinduism being the world's oldest religion, then Zoroastrianism, uh, then um, Judaism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, the Native American belief systems, the African animistic belief systems, all of them hold that the soul, the who and what we are, which in terms of psychology and science is referred to as consciousness, Pre-exists the body, comes into the body, moves on after the body dies. We know from the laws of physics, energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. We know from the field of neuroscience that the brain has an electrical field and electricity being energy. So I developed the term the electromagnetic soul to describe what we really are, which is pure consciousness, a spirit, a soul, that is eternal electromagnetic energy.
0: That was really a, a wonderful innovation on your part, linguistically. I love that term and the whole concept of the electromagnetic soul. I would love for you to elaborate more about that and the connection with consciousness and energy and, and light, because this is really where the bridge can be created between science and the, uh, the spiritual side of, of things
1: absolutely. Now, when people hear quantum physics, you know, they turn and run it's like, oh, my God, you know, and, and I want to let um, everybody know that, look, uh, I'm an attorney and i suffered through a lot of boring books and legal opinions in my life <laughs> and i swear i am not inflicting that upon my readers so instead of you know flooding your you know the, the, your, your your head with complex calculations instead i explain the concepts in a way that anybody can understand them and we've all learned in science classes that everything's made of molecules molecules are composed of atoms. Atoms are made up of electrons, protons, and neutrons, and those particles in turn are made of the smallest particle of all, which is a quantum. Technically, an electron is a quantum because it holds a a negative charge, but a a quantum is electromagnetic energy. So what that means, Tonio, is that you, me, the air we're breathing, the microphones we're speaking into, the radio waves that are transmitting, this program the light from the sun the grains of sand on the beach the surface of the moon the stars themselves are all made at the same basic level of electromagnetic energy and quantum physicists have explained that everything vibrates you know we always hear like everything is a vibration Uh, It was cool. A couple of years back, I was in Hawaii and I was studying with the Lapu, the the native Hawaiian spiritualist, and they're explaining how everything, they said, you know, this rock, the ocean, the fish in it, us, we all have a mana. Mana means vibration. Everything has a frequency. And so belief systems around the world have embraced this and now quantum physicists have proven this okay so now how does this tie into the electromagnetic soul well the energy field in the brain aka our soul is energy and the only form of electromagnetic energy visible to the human eye tonio is light We forget that there's many different forms of electromagnetic energy. I mean, every time you grab a remote to change the channel on the TV, guess what? It uses infrared impulses. Infrared is electromagnetic energy. So is ultraviolets or gamma rays, x-rays, microwaves, radio waves. All of those move at the speed of light but light is the only form of electromagnetic energy visible to the human eye it also is what people who have intensely spiritual experiences whether it's a near-death experience they talk about going through a tunnel into the light people who meditate and say that they have seen the light Um, people who claim to have encountered the divine power we know as god okay it's hanukkah right now so you know, I was raised in the Catholic faith, but but I've uh, also been raised, and and I firmly believe, to respect and honor all, all belief systems. When Moses encountered the burning bush, and I think everybody's familiar with that story. I mean, if you haven't read it, you probably saw the Ten Commandments at some point. But uh, we're familiar with Moses encountering the burning bush, which is God, the bush that burned yet did not burn. Well, let's look at this from our standpoint. In the Bronze Age, when this would have occurred, Moses certainly didn't have the terminology to explain, I'm encountering an intense concentration of electromagnetic energy of this massive consciousness. So what would he do, Tonio? He would explain it in the vernacular of the day. And the most powerful form of radiant energy he would have known would be fire. So to him it appeared to be fire that burned, yet did not burn. Then let's fast forward to the New Testament, the Pentecost. This is after, according to to scripture, that Jesus has ascended and his disciples and mother Mary are in a room and they have this intense spiritual experience and they see tongues of fire above each other's heads. Now, those of us who do work and people who see auras or learn to see auras, um the auric field is is an energy field a radiant field around something a light bulb has an aura you know when you turn it on there's a you know a glow around it that's an aura well we have an energy field so we have that too and when you look at the chakras the different energy centers in your body the crown chakra the one at the top of the head has this flickering you know it's it's moving around how would you describe that in the iron age it appeared as a tongue of fire and, and it's not just judaism and christianity if you look at islam buddhism hinduism all these religions they all talk about encounters with the divine as the light we get this too with people of a near-death experience myself included that you die and the next thing you know you're either going through a tunnel or you're in this bright light and a light that doesn't burn or harm the eyes because you're not seeing it with the physical eyes so the light may be our interpretation or our ability to perceive this contact with the divine. You can call this God. You can call this the collective consciousness. You can call this the source, whatever term you want to put on it. And so we see reoccurring patterns throughout that. And now that we know that pretty much everything in in our material world dimension when i say pretty much anything because there's other forms of energy uh there's gravity there's nuclear strong nuclear weak but as far as we're concerned everything at the most basic level is electromagnetic energy ergo everything is made of the same fabric everything is interconnected and everything is based on energy which vibrates
0: hmm. And it's fascinating how we, especially in our culture, which is so materialistic and so limited in the way it understands things and explains things, even though we're far more advanced in our understanding of things than they were back in the Bronze Age, um, how the brain interprets things through our senses and it makes sense out of it. It tells stories in terms of the language that it can conceptualize through our sensual perception. So it's really fascinating, the connection, the relationship between the limited capacities of our our senses, physical senses, and our brain to understand these things and the electromagnetic nature of our soul, which is unlimited, unlimited energy. And you tell so many wonderful stories that elucidate that, that I just found so thrilling. Yeah, it was was thrilling to read the stories because they all validated and supported the science and also all the anecdotal historical stories that have been told for millennia.
1: Thank you, Antonio it's important for us to understand that we're all interconnected and that we're all energy. You know, you look at this crazy material world that we live in, you know, it's like, you know, the Russians want to invade the Ukraine, the Chinese want to invade Taiwan, this one wants this one and that. And I was so impressed recently when William Shatner, whom I guess millions, if not billions know as Captain Kirk, and he went up in the blue horizon Jeff Bezos's uh, spaceship, and I was watching it on TV. And when he got off, you know, I was like, "Why is he so quiet?" And he was in tears. And he said, "I hope I never get over this." And he said, "When you're there and you see this thin blue blanket around our Earth, and he said it's life, and then you look into the void of space and it was death." He said it was just so overwhelming. Antonio, I've been very honored throughout my life to have met – I met Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, John Glenn, Mike Foreman, and uh, Bill Nelson, who, even though he was a politician, went up in one of the space shuttles. And now he's the head of NASA and, and had conversations with all of them. And I talked to John Glenn the longest, and that was just amazing. He was the first man, the first human to orbit the Earth. And then he was the oldest person to go into space. I think it was 76 until William Shatner's 90. And which is reassuring because it shows that, hey, old people can go to space and not come back all damaged, You know, and William Shatner is on cloud nine. But I remember when I talked to John Glenn and I, 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 you know, I had a little bit of time with him. I had like 20 minutes with him. I said, what was it like? He said, Mark, it was just so beautiful. He said, when I looked down on the earth and you see how alive it is, he said, you can almost feel the life pulsating, this energy. He goes, it's just so breathtakingly beautiful. And then you have to realize, he said, it hit me. This is the only place we have to live. And it's interesting because Neil Armstrong said something very similar to that, as did Buzz Aldrin and so did William Shatner. And, you know, people need to understand that where we live is very fragile, and it's very alive, and it's not just a coincidence that this third rock from the sun had all the ingredients, the right position, the right size to create and, and to sustain life
0: hmm. That's so beautiful. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, God, we've got to we, we need to get pretty much everybody or at least all the politicians on the planet up into space to have that perspective.
1: I think that would do a world of good for them to see that, you know, because we have, you know, humans are are very violent. And I mean, obviously, look at our history. But think about it. You know, I've talked to, you know, in my line of work, I meet a lot of people that are in, you know, the, the paranormal and the metaphysical realm. And I've talked to and actually done readings for people who claim to have been abducted by aliens. And it's very fascinating. And I've talked to two of the most high profile and considered to be the most authentic and reliable. That would be Nancy Tremaine which is back in the 1960s, and Calvin Parker back in the 1970s. And, you know, they talked about, you know, what had happened to them. But my point is, you know, people are like, well, why don't aliens just come out and contact us? All right. So they're watching us. They see that we're incredibly violent. We, we destroy our world, we make war on each other. Do you really think they wanna give us any technology? Because as soon as they do, we're gonna figure out a way to weaponize it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause that, that's, that's kind of what human history has been about. And when you talk to people that have been in space, so my dad was a NASA engineer and he worked on several of these programs. He worked with astronauts. It's one of the reasons I've always been so fascinated with it. You know, I was a little boy, daddy was my hero you know here he was he had been a navy seal and now he was working with astronauts and i remember Tony. i was eight years old and we were looking at the stars one night and dad always said he goes you're a difficult kid and i go why he goes because you never stopped asking questions everything goes why why how he goes you weren't a behavior problem but you wouldn't stop asking questions but he really liked that because it gave him a chance to talk about what he was doing and he said mark there's no such thing as a mystery There's only questions that we don't yet have an answer for, and if enough research, enough funding, enough dedication goes into anything, we'll have the answer, and it will be science that will explain it to us. You know, Tonio, that really stuck with me that stuck with me and that's why yes i was born with this mediumistic ability my father had these abilities my mother had these abilities it runs in my family for generations i want to know why you know why are these things possible how are these things possible you know what is spirit contact how does it happen where does it happen so my whole life has been you know questions and seeking these answers and and that's why i don't feel that there should be a divide between people of faith and people of science i mean i've had a number of religious people cuz social media gives cowards a chance to be bullies and they'll write terrible things and you know you know there's always always going to be that they say i don't like the way you talk about the soul and the science it's beyond our understanding i beg to differ god has a delivery system and as nikola tesla said what one man believes is God, another believes of the laws of physics, and I'm not negating the existence of God. In fact, I do believe in God, but there's a way that all these things happen. It's not Harry Potter. It's not some magic thing. There is a reason why and how these things happen, and that's what we're on the threshold of really beginning to understand, and it all comes through quantum physics.
0: I have been fascinated with quantum physics, you know, particularly the incredible implications of it, I never studied the equations or, or any of the technical stuff of it. But the implications of quantum physics were utterly fascinating. That was like a totally mind blowing door opening thing for me. And I had already had the doors blown off my mind many times earlier in my life. And yet, the implications of quantum physics just reinforced it in such a powerful way.
1: They, they do. They do. And the cool thing about physics is that it answers questions and then there's more questions. And, you know, it's like in many readings that I do, spirits will bring up something. That hasn't happened yet. In fact, I got an email the other day from this gentleman who actually turned out to be a writer. He and his wife had done readings with me on separate occasions, and he wrote this blog and he said, in both readings, you kept telling us that our loved ones, our spirits kept indicating that there was a problem with the electrical system on our house and where the power lines connected to the house. And we, you know, we weren't having any issues and we just blew it off. He goes, well, a couple months later, he said, all of a sudden we start getting like brownouts and the lights in our house were fluctuating and we contacted the power company and they said everything on their end was fine. It must be where it's connecting with the house. So we brought in a trusted electrician and he discovered that right where the power lines connect with our house, everything was arcing. And he goes, oh my God, you're on the verge of an electrical fire. And so they, he wrote about this and he said, you know, you couldn't possibly have known this. I mean, it was a reading over the phone and, you know, they were very, very grateful. And so this is what I refer to as spirit intervention. And then people will ask, well, how is it that spirits can see future events? Well, this gets back to quantum theory because, you know, we think, Tonio, oh, that time exists. Why? Because we're born. We grow old, we die. And so if you said, draw a timeline and it goes from left to right, and here's your born, you know, you can even say like, uh, Roman empire at its peak or it crashes here, you know, so we think that time is linear and moves in one direction. It's very normal for us to do this. Why? Because we are born, we grow old, we die. We watch trees grow and then, you know, crumble. And, and so as far as we're concerned, time is a one way ticket. Well, on the quantum level, quantum physicists, Stephen Hawking, Max Tegmark, Max Planck, Werner Heisenberg, Albert Einstein said that time doesn't exist. That everything that has happened is happening and will happen is going on simultaneously. Now that's really hard for us to wrap our heads around, okay? Because this is an infinite concept and we're finite beings and our brain which hosts the electromagnetic soul doesn't create it, host it, just like your computer hard drive did not create Windows 11. All right, it just hosts it, or you know, Windows 10, whatever program you're using. Well, I was trying to understand this, and Antonio, I, I mean, it was like this one was kicking me six ways to Sunday. I mean, I just couldn't, couldn't get this one. And I was trying my best to understand it. And so in my research, all of a sudden, this quote from Werner Heisenberg comes up. And he was one of the founders of quantum physics. He's one of the greats. And a quote emerged that said, when you think you understand quantum physics, you really don't. Oh, my God, I started laughing. <laughs> uh, Tony, I felt so much better. I just called it a day. And I figured, look, if Werner Heisenberg had trouble with it, and he, he, he developed this stuff, I'm good. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating how these brilliant scientists who discovered quantum physics, they were essentially flirting with the other side, with the other world, and discovering in ways that, that most of us couldn't, how that realm mathematically and scientifically underpins everything that we have come to assume is all that is.
1: It's a very good point. I love the way you put that, because that's true. And also, they came when they were supposed to be here. And then, you know, you look at the great minds throughout history. Somebody had to figure out how to build the pyramids. And with all due deference to my colleagues who think that, you know, aliens built them. And I've been studying archaeology my entire life. And archaeologists have uncovered all around the pyramids remains of the workers' villages, the workers who were building them. So, you know, I don't want to insult our ancestors. They were no less clever than we are. They just had different levels of technology. When I was in Central America examining Mayan ancient ruins, they did all of that. They built pyramids. They built cities, irrigation systems. I mean, the Mayans built things just as complex as the Egyptians, the Chinese, the Hindus, the Greeks, the Romans. And they did it all without the wheel Or without metal tools, and that's mind-boggling. But see, they weren't sitting there in the Yucatan Peninsula going, "You know, we don't have metal, we don't have a wheel, uh, we just can't do it." No, they figured it out. All right, so there were some geniuses back then that figured this out. The Mayan knowledge of astronomy and star charting is just amazing. So you know, we have to look at our ancestors. Um, they, They were very, very clever and. But technology breeds technology breeds technology. I mean, 500 years ago, Leonardo da Vinci was drawing schematics for a helicopter. Now, clearly, in the 16th century, the early 16th century when he was doing this, they didn't have the technology to develop a helicopter. But that didn't stop him from saying, well, if we did this and we did this. And so the technology continued. Then Newton came along, and and uh, Newton came up with some brilliant ideas, and that triggered more brilliant ideas. And then there was the technology explosion of the nineteenth century. And if you think about it, um, humans went into the nineteenth century, the year eighteen hundred, with ships that used sails, and they left that century with ships that used steam engines. And from that point on, technology has been moving, you know, pun intended, at warp speed. And so that's when that whole collective of Einstein, Planck, Heisenberg, Broglie, Tesla, um, I mean, all of them just, just came forward. And so it has implications far beyond just the scientific, but also now as we're seeing the spiritual as well. And to me, this is very fascinating.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's get into the way you perceive spirits. And you say that spirits are around us all the time.
1: Yes. Yeah, they're, they're energy. And, you know, think about, you know, if I said to you that you are surrounded by beams of energy loaded with information and intelligence, At first, you may say, well, that's ridiculous. But then again, Tonio, you're a radio show host. And radio waves are around you, around all of us all the time. It's just our ability to tune into them, to develop that technology. And spirits, because, you know, I refer to them as the EMS, the electromagnetic soul, they move at the speed of light. And so, yeah, they're around us, but they're not hanging out with us all the time because they don't need to. So by the time it took me to say that, a spirit could have beamed back and forth to you and I about 10 times and then been to the moon and back. That's how fast they move. So when I open up my brain to higher frequencies, spirits are going to come forward. And as explained in the afterlife frequency, there's different brain wave frequencies. We have five different brain wave levels. There's gamma, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. Gamma is super high functioning. Okay, that's when you're on Jeopardy. Okay, that's when you're running your brain at full throttle. Um, Beta is the conscious state. That's what we're in right now. That's the one where we're able to function, talk, converse, you know, do our jobs. When we begin to relax, you go into alpha. I always call alpha the groovy baby state. You know, (laughs) yeah, so you begin to relax. Could be meditation, could be drifting off to sleep, could be when you're daydreaming and then alpha leads to theta, which is the sleep state that where dreams occur. And then delta is very low brainwave activity, but it's important because that's when your body heals and and there's a lot of physical processes. But let's go to the alpha theta border between the relaxed and the deep the dreamful state. This is where psychic and mediumistic activity occurs, and generally this takes several hours in the sleep state. Have you ever had a, a dream where or when you were sleeping where a deceased loved one communicated with you and you woke up and you felt that it was real?
0: Um, I've actually had that with pets that have died, where I've actually heard my dog bark and I've heard my cat meow.
1: Well, there you go. At the time, what were you doing?
0: I was doing something completely different.
1: Right. See, so what they- was happening is your focus was relaxed. And... The reason I use the example of the dream state, because that's the most common form, and it'll happen to you at some point in your life, hopefully not for a long time, because you know we don't want to lose family members. Unfortunately, we do. But what happens is this activity occurs on the alpha-theta border. Um, it feels very daydreamy when it happens. And spirits are able to spot when you're in that frequency and they will adjust their frequency. And that's where you get the, the contact. So for the benefit of the listeners, for those of you who've had a visitation and a dream, it's different than a regular dream. It feels real. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. And you wake up and it's like, gosh, that really was my mom because it was. You know, typically dreams have that, you know, surrealistic, you know, uh, abstract, bizarre type of quality to them. And there's reasons why that happens. But but when you get that direct contact or in a situation like you, explain Tonio, and animals are, are perfectly capable of communicating, any being capable of the emotion of love is capable of spirit communication. So what we don't understand, and when I say we, I mean people who study afterlife communication, And I've been studied in a couple different laboratories, both in the U.S. and in the U.K. What they don't understand is why people like me can go from the beta state to alpha theta within seconds. Normally, that takes hours in the deep dream state. So I can go from beta, alpha theta, beta, alpha theta, back and forth. And that's why when I go into my zone to communicate with spirits, and I open up to the afterlife frequency, that's when spirits will come forward for the person that I'm doing the session for. So I'm kind of, in a way, I'm shooting a flare into the cosmos going, okay, guys, I'm doing this, and that will bring them in.
0: So how do you make that shift so quickly? Is it something that you have developed the skill to do, or is it something that comes naturally?
1: All of the above. I was born with this ability and, you know, I meet a lot of like really young mediums and who are inexperienced. Oh, they come to me all the time. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you leave the doors and windows of your house open and unlocked 24-7? And they're like, well, no. Why are you doing that to your brain? And it's not that something evil or nasty is going to come in and get you. What this is, is you'll be constantly bombarded and it'll start denigrating the quality of the contact so when you're working with spirit communication you define the parameters of the contact and that actually enhances and increases the quality of it also you've only got so many hours per day where you can really do a good reading because it's extremely mentally and physically exhausting so you want to save yourself up you know it's just like an olympic athlete You know, they, they need a good night's sleep, good rest, you know, good diet the day before they don't want to be depleted when they're about to compete in an event. And it's the same thing, you know, or with any performer or, you know, when you go to your job, even, you know, you need to be at your best. And so I've developed, you know, the ability to set the parameters and I let them know when I'm doing this and when I'm not doing this. And they will, for the most part, respect that. I mean, I can't say that, you know, I haven't been somewhere in public in a spirit's like, you know, here, here, go, go talk to that woman. That was my wife. You know, you got to be very careful about doing that. You know, that's why I like these TV shows where people are like, hi, I'm a medium, blah, 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 and they throw a reading at somebody. Um, first off, that's unethical. Secondly, it's scripted when you get eight different camera angles with perfect makeup, perfect lighting, perfect sound. And all the people in the background, you can see their faces. That meant that all those people in the background had to sign a release. I've been on TV enough many times. And when I see stuff like that, what people don't understand is it took probably eight or nine hours to film that 90-second sequence and edit it down. And chances are it's scripted. I'm not saying that the, the mediums that have these shows don't have abilities. It's just that you've got to take this very, very... You know, you have to look at it from the technical standpoint. Also, it's unethical because maybe somebody's in a pizza parlor eating a piece of pizza and they're not emotionally ready to deal with encountering the spirit of a loved one. Okay. You need to respect people and they will come to you when they want that communication. That's like going up to somebody and saying, you know, you look like you need a root canal, hold them down, you know, and you need to start doing a root canal. It's like, no, 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 they were there at E-Pizza not to get a root canal, maybe tomorrow. And, and it's the same thing. We have to be very respectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that reminded me when I was 18 years old, um, I had an experience on LSD with my girlfriend at the time. She had just emerged from a very, very scary and difficult situation. And she was in very shaky state. And her father came through me and communicated with her. Her father who had died when she was 12 years old and he was her best friend when she was growing up. And she was very, very vulnerable at the time. And he came through me. And I've heard stories of, of how different channels or mediums experience that for me. I was kind of shunted to the side. I was not at all aware of any of the communication that was happening, but I was aware that it was happening. But I was open to it. I didn't feel violated at all. But afterwards, my girlfriend told me what had happened and. That's another, you know, uh, reinforcement of of this understanding of this broader perspective.
1: Certainly. And in spirit communication, um, I look at it as I'm the mediator, the arbiter. The spirit's communicating with me, I'm communicating to the person. And sometimes you do get that sense of you're standing on the sidelines watching the show. And there's different types of mediumship. I'm a mental medium. That means spirits come to me and they communicate to me. And then people say, well, well, what's it like? How do you see them? Do you see them standing in the room? Well, sometimes yes, but generally, see, there's that. That's known as clairvoyance when you see know, It's a French term. Uh, the French kind of cornered the market in the uh, in the Victorian era. Like clairvoyance is clear seeing, clairaudience is hearing, clairsentience is feeling, clairsavance is knowing. And normally, though, I see them with subjective clairvoyance, and that means I see them in my mind's eye. So here's the example. Okay, Tonio, think of the Statue of Liberty. Do you see it? Yep. Okay, that's how I see spirits. Now, I may not see all the intricate details and and all that, and maybe I see her as a little bit greener. Maybe you see her a little bit more aqua-colored, you know, but basically that's it. And then um, there's Claire Audience where I'll hear things. Um, uh, Claire sentience where I'll feel physical sensations and then claire savance where I'll know things. So when I open up to spirit communication and a spirit connects with me, first I'll get their gender. Then I'll get an idea of their relationship to you. Like if I say they're on your level, that means your generation, like a brother, sister, cousin, spouse, friend below your level, child, niece, nephew, above that parent and uncle. It's like a family tree chart. They don't have to be relatives. So let's say I'm a lady on the mother level comes through. Well, it could be an aunt, but it could be a teacher you may have had or a professor or a boss, maybe a stepmother mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Then um, I'm going to start feeling sensations. Usually I will feel how the, the person died. And different causes of death may have a similar physical sensation. So if I talk about, like, impact my head, that could indicate head trauma, stroke, aneurysm. But it could be a quick passing, so I get a jolt. And then um, then they're gonna start transmitting to me all types of things. I'll see, hear, feel things, know things. And so I'll get the information, I'll convey it to the client. And I uh, usually will say, do you recognize this or does that make sense? And it's very important not to immediately go to no. And I explain that in length in the afterlife frequency. There's a chapter called avoiding the no, no, no syndrome. Cause some people start shooting things down right away. Well, it takes time to figure it out. It's like the people that I described earlier with the issue with the electricity. At first, they were no, no, no about it. And then they found out a couple months later, exactly where their spirits pinpointed, they were about to have an electrical fire. Um, Because it takes time after the reading for the entire thing to unfold. It can take hours, days, weeks, even longer for the reading to make sense. I had a really interesting example of this a couple days ago. I was doing a reading for this guy, and his father came through. And he said, well, my father died when I was very young, so I really don't know him. But he goes, I know who he was. And I said, he keeps saying two snakes. And I go, so is there something about snakes? He goes, I can't think of anything. I said, well, to me, I think of the medical symbol, you know, the, the staff with the two snakes on it. He goes, I'm familiar with that. He said, but I, I, I have a feeling it's Native American. I said, why? He said, well, my dad was Native American. I'm Native American. He goes, but I don't know what that means. So that was good. So he handled it the right way. He goes, I think it's this, but I don't know. And guess what? The next day, he and his wife sent me this amazing email, and they included a, a picture from this book with the text in it. His father and he are of the Sioux Nation. And literally, in the Sioux language, Sioux means two snakes. Now, I didn't know that. He didn't know that. So I love it when people go, oh, you're cold reading. Really? So if I'm cold reading, how do I just throw out two snakes? Or I'm reading their mind. Well, how do I read something that's not in somebody's mind? And I'm doing this over the phone. So the thing is, many times, spirits will present something to you that you may not immediately understand, but you will at some point, um, you know, because we live in an immediate gratification society. I mean, think about it. We can grab our phone. Hey, uh, tell me about this, and you know, your phone will give you all this information, or we want to order something online or whatever, which is wonderful. We live in this incredible, you know, technologically advanced society, but not everything is an on-demand. Not everything is on our timetable and spirits may give us messages that are not readily and immediately apparent. It takes time, and it will be revealed to you, unfolded, when it's supposed to. And also
0: that the language that spirits use is, is the language of imagery and, and symbols, not necessarily words.
1: Well, they're they're not speaking a human language. They speak frequency. For example... If you and I were in the same room and I only knew sign language and you didn't, it would just look, I'm waving my hands around and it wouldn't make any sense at all. Or if you only spoke French and, and I didn't, or I just knew a little bit. And so when you work with them, yes, they, they give symbols that have meanings, but what is a word? A word is a symbol that we attach a significance to it. So if I say the sound there, is it T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E? You see, the same sound has three very different meanings. And, you know, when I work with spirits, there are certain symbols they'll give me that I know that mean particular things, okay? But when they throw something at me like two snakes, well, that that's one that's not in my usual, you know, familiar symbols that, that I work with. And... It was his father validating for him that they were of the Sioux Nation and also his more messages attached that his father wanted to let him know that he was around his son and aware of what was going on in his life and brought up some health issues and things that he needed to look out for. And so it's very complex. And but the thing is, I was trying to figure out how do you explain to people who are not mediums? Because a lot of my colleagues write books that say, I'm going to turn you into a medium but not everybody is a medium. Not everybody's a mathematician. Not everybody's lead guitarist for a rock band. Not everybody, you know, can swim like Michael Phelps. But that doesn't mean that everybody can't play some type of music, maybe do some math, maybe um, go swimming. So how do you explain to people who aren't mediums how to get them to receive and understand messages from spirits? And I was doing my darndest. I was working away, trying to write this for the book, and nothing was happening. I hit that, that horrible writer's block. And anyone who's listening, who's written you know, anything from a paper in high school to a book knows what writer's block is. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go for a walk on the beach because I live near the ocean. So I'm walking down my driveway, and I get these tingles, cold chills and tingles. And I go, OK. That's something spiritual, you know, because their energy and uh, when their energy field interacts with ours, we get cold chills and tingles. It's also why a lot of people think spirit communication is scary because it's the same sensation in the flight or fight response. But once you start working with you, you, realize, OK, this isn't scary. They're trying to tell me something. And I said, OK, I don't need to be going to the beach. I need to walk on this bike path. So I'm walking on this bike path near my house. It's about 11 in the morning and I see these two objects shining in the light. I walk over and I look at them Antonio, it's a nickel and a penny. So I go to pick them up and I hear my mother's voice, mom and dad have passed. And I hear mom saying, if their heads down, don't touch them. It's bad luck. And I start laughing because, you know, Tony, my mom's family was of Italian descent. And we have a superstition for every occasion. You know, if, if a coin's heads down, it's bad luck. You know, don't walk under a ladder. Watch out, don't break them here. Okay, so I'm laughing about that. And then I hear my dad's voice say, it's money, grab it. So I'm laughing and I'm standing there and I'm holding this nickel and this penny and I go, oh, six cents. And I go, wait a second, six cents. So I realized, all right, I'm not here by accident, okay? And then in my mind's eye, I see an image of my dad standing in the ocean And he was holding this blue canvas raft that he used to have when I was a kid. Now, dad was a Navy seal, scuba diver, swimming instructor. And I go raft, I go, that's it, that's it, that's it. They said, teach people how to raft, recognize the presence of spirits, accept the contact is real, feel it without overthinking it and trust in the message. Raft. I'm like that was it, and I ran home and writers block on, and the like ten paragraphs flew out of my fingers. And that's what they were doing. And they taught me the raft technique by walking me through it, because I felt the cold chills and tingles. I recognized a sign from a spirit. They directed me to a particular location. I saw the coins. Okay, so I said okay, six cents. I accepted the contact as real. I didn't overthink it. I felt it, not overthink it. And then I trusted the message. And the thing is, Tony, anybody can employ the RAF technique to situations like you had with your girlfriend to make sense out of it. How to recognize, accept, feel and trust the communication you had from your beloved animals. People can use this to make sense of their near death experience to a deathbed vision. And we can talk about that in a minute to any type of spiritual encounter. And once you recognize the signs, accept it as real, where people go wrong is with the feeling. They begin to overthink it. And you've got to get that out of the way, feel, and then trust the message. And you know, you know that it's a message from spirits. You know that it's a message from the divine when it involves peace, healing, resolution, love. Messages from spirits, messages from the divine are never about anger, bigotry, hatred, and violence. And therein lies the difference. So these people who go around and say, I'm receiving messages. Let's start an insurrection. Let's blow up a something in the name of our religion. Let's, let's, let's do violence. Like that has nothing to do with God. That has nothing to do with spirituality. That is entirely the byproduct of that person's narcissistic, ego-driven agenda. And ego can be looked at as edging God out. So we have to make sure that when the message comes through you trust it when it involves love healing resolution and peace
0: what about so-called evil spirits or unresolved troubled entities
1: yeah uh, this is where i differ with my colleagues um out of i've done over 15000 readings connected with uh, hundreds of thousands of spirits I don't believe in devils, demons, evil spirits. And look, I went to Catholic school. I was raised in the Catholic faith. You know, we're all about, you know, eternal damnation, unless, you know, you're Catholic, you have purgatory, which is kind of like cosmic probation. You go there for 10,000 years then you're done and you go to heaven. But the thing is, I think that there's a lot of connections that people make with non-human spiritual intelligence that they misinterpret and immediately jump to the conclusion that it's evil and um, i mean i've got lots and lots of stories along those lines because when you're studying uh, you know and as a paranormal investigator if you go to a place um, and people say there's a devil in there it's like okay hold on hold on we're not employing the scientific method you've already jumped to a conclusion let's go in and examine this and i was at a paranormal investigation at estes park in colorado at the stanley hotel amazing place and at the end of the night um they had several different teams set up on the property in the cavern below. There's about 200 people in the conference. And so they split them up into about a dozen people each and we'd rotate to the different locales. So here I am in the, the cavern at the bottom of this and the investigator had all the K2 EMF meters, the EVP, everything set up and we're sitting there and all of a sudden everything started going off the charts. Okay. Something's here. And I was with my manager, Rocky, and said, so we're all looking at, at the equipment. And she said, you know, I've seen all those scary movies where people are in the cave and they're all looking one way and the monster comes up behind them. So she turns around, and she goes, oh my God. And we all turn around. And, and let me tell you something, Antonio, this is one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. There was this green, silvery, undulating light pattern moving along the wall of the cavern behind us. And, you know, the, the uh, paranormal investigator is like, it's a demon. I go, cool it. I okay, go, cool it before we jump to conclusions. So I start walking towards it. And everyone's like, Mark, don't do it. And then I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I should. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> and uh, But then I felt my mom's presence there. She goes, Mark, it's all right. She goes, don't worry. And so I walked into this light. And it was cool because there was this guy that was with us. He worked at Disney in special effects. And he was looking around. And he goes, we can't do this. He goes, this is not being projected. He goes, I don't I don't know how this is happening. So I'm standing in this green glow, and I felt a female entity. And then I realized I felt a similar spirit like this when I was in England. They called it a fairy. I felt one like this in Japan. They called it the kami. I felt this in Hawaii, the Metahune. I said, wait a second, this is an elemental. And elementals are non-human spiritual intelligence. They're like more aligned with the earth, with plants, maybe with animals. They're not particularly interested in humans. They don't necessarily dislike us, but it's just, you know, we're not really something that they, they work with. And she wanted to know why we were so curious about her. It wasn't malevolent. It was like, why are they so curious about her? And I said, it's a female. And then all of a sudden, she wafted away from me, and it kind of looked like a lava lamp, and she enveloped the investigator. And he's like, oh, my God! I go, calm down. He goes, why is she doing this to me? I go, she wants to know why you're studying her. She's studying you. And he goes, really? You know, and everybody calmed down. And then um, it pixelated and uh, receded. And so normally, people would jump to the conclusion this was a demonic entity, is an evil and all that. It's like before we start leaping to the uh, the pits of hell, why don't we objectively analyze this energy that we're encountering, and determine? Um, let's get the get the data, then we can determine what it was after the fact. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can see how people could automatically go into a knee jerk fight or flight response to something that they don't understand, particularly if there's a lot of, uh, you know, history, prehistory around these kind of things, which just kind of lead them down this dark path.
1: Well, sure. I mean, come on, we're in a cave beneath a place that's supposed to be haunted and there's green silvery lights coming at you. I mean, I, I could understand why people were scared. And I have to admit, for a few few moments there, I was like, well, I don't know, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the Catholic community started bubbling up. But what was Really interesting. It's funny how we we start talking about that convention. Something else there happened to me. And the best friend that I ever had, Billy, I, I met him when I was 11 years old. He was 11, I was 11. Our birthdays are like a week apart. We went to junior high, high school together. We went to college together. And he was an atheist, even though he'd been raised in the Catholic faith and I'd been raised. But, you know, I was raised by two mediums. And so, you know, my my view of of religion was very, very broad. I, I didn't look at it as a dogmatic thing, but more as a, as a continuum. And after college, I went to law school and he went to Asia. And so in Asia, he was teaching Japanese executives conversational English. And Billy was a linguistics genius. I mean, he could speak Cantonese, Indonesian, Thai, Japanese. And so I took some time off. It took about six weeks off. Maybe, oh no, I think it was like two months. And I went to Asia and we had all these adventures in Japan and Southeast Asia. In fact, uh, the afterlife frequency opens with a very harrowing experience that if had it gone another way, I would not be sitting here. I don't think I'd even be in this world. We had this ongoing debate, Tonio, about the existence of the afterlife and God. And he said, there's no science, there's no technology that can detect this. It simply can't be proven. He said, but I don't understand how you do the psychic thing. So it was an intellectual debate because that's how we were. And you know, we grew up in the surfing culture of East Coast Central Florida. He always called me dude and bro. And you know, we we liked we liked adventures, but we you know we liked talking you know the, these esoteric conversations. And he even honored me. Um, I was a notary public. In addition to being an attorney, I was a notary at the time. He he and his he met this uh, wonderful woman from Japan. He asked me to perform their wedding ceremony. And you know, Antonio, it was one of the best days of my life i was standing on the podium and my best friend he's in front of me with his wife to be my parents were alive they were sitting in the front row next to his parents and her family from japan all of our friends from college and high school it's like everybody that i loved was alive and they were there you know and i look back on that and and it was just one of those sparkling shining moments in life and a couple years after that he succumbed to suicide naturally i was just completely devastated because he was like my brother i mean we just been through everything together since we we're little kids well about a year after that i find myself at the stanley hotel at that convention and the the incident that i just talked about with the you know in the cavern was the night before and then the following day i gave my presentation and then i was down on the convention floor and i was signing books my first book never letting go had just been released and i was signing that and my manager rocky was walking around looking at the other exhibits and a lot of the paranormal investigators were displaying their equipment and she walked by this one table and a guy named chris was manning it And he was displaying the spirit box scanner and the spirit box scans EMF frequencies, um, hoping to lock on to the voices of spirits. And all of a sudden she's walking by it and she hears get Mark and she stops and she looks at it and the investigator says, did that thing just talk to you? And then it said, get Mark. She goes, oh, my God. And he goes, do you think he means your Mark, Mark Anthony? So all of a sudden I hear, Mark, Mark. And I look up, and they're waving to me, and there's all these people around uh, Chris's table. And I'm like, what's going on? So I get up, and I I, I run over there. And as I'm approaching it, all of a sudden I hear, dude, Antonio. I I stopped. I mean, almost my heart stopped. Then I hear, love you, bro. And I look at Rocky, and she's got tears in her eyes. She goes, Mark, that was Billy's voice. I go, my God, it was. And the investigator is like, oh, my God, he goes, it asked for Mark. And then you both positively identified who it was. And, you know, and I'm a medium and I'm usually delivering messages to people that, oh, my gosh, you know, they're like, that's amazing. But now this was happening to me. And and I was explaining to people that, you know, my this was my best friend. He always called me, dude, bro. In fact, the last thing he ever said to me in this world, he hugged me and goes, I love you, bro and i spent a lot of time thinking about that you know at first it was just i was so thankful for what an incredible experience and then it dawned on me this wasn't just some coincidence because coincidences don't exist this is what i now call spiritual synchronicity the atheist who didn't believe in an afterlife chose to reach out to me through a technological device and he was the one that always told me there's no technology there's no science so he came to me through this piece of technology antonio that got my wheels turning and that got me on the path to writing the afterlife frequency
0: so afterlife you also write about near-death experiences i've interviewed a number of people who've had near-death experiences a lot of people are becoming more and more aware of them now you also share at least one story of a shared death experience which is something that is corroborated by a whole group of people could you tell the story of the firefighter hot shots
1: Near-death experiences are when somebody dies and their consciousness leaves their body and they go into a light and they encounter deceased loved ones and then they return. And the criticism has been that they are subjective. That's the side effect of the dying brain. And in the afterlife frequency, I explain the arguments attacking near-death experiences and then I present the evidence refuting those arguments. And the hotshots, hotshots are an elite firefighting team, and they're deployed at the most dangerous fires in the world. They're about um, anywhere from 20 to two dozen, could be men and women. Um, It's usually men, uh, just because of the the rigors, but, but, you know, they're certainly open to two females working with them. And back in the '80s, uh, this guy named John Hernandez was part of a Hotshots, and they were deployed on a mountaintop during a, a terrible forest fire. And everything was going according to plan until the wind changed direction. And mountain fires are very dangerous because the wind and the weather changes so quickly in the mountains, and all of a sudden. The fire was moving at them, probably at 100 miles per hour. It was just engulfing the mountaintop. Trees were exploding. These guys, they relied on their training, hit the ground, pulled uh, protective gear over them. And Hernandez said the next thing he knew, he was feeling this massive heat. He was choking to death. He knew that the fire was sucking the oxygen out of the air. And he said, I'm dying. And next thing he said, I'm floating above this mountain. And I'm looking, and all the other hot shots were floating as well. And one of the guys, Jose, he'd been born with a deformed foot. And Hernandez noticed that his foot was fine. He goes, Jose, your foot's normal. And Jose communicates back to him, not verbally, but telepathically, it is. And he said the next thing he knows, he's in this white light and the spirit of his great-grandfather came through and several other family members that he knew, and he said he wanted to go with them, and they said, no, you have to go back. And the next thing Hernandez knows, he's laying face down. He said he was in excruciating pain. He was coughing and choking. He pulled the protective gear off of him. The mountaintop was charred to a cinder. But then he noticed all the other hot shots were emerging from their gear miraculously none of them had died so they they regroup now now you got to realize these are about as serious a group of guys as you're ever going to meet they're like special forces they are special forces they're special forces to fight fires they started talking every single one of them said i saw all of us hovering above the field. They all said they noticed Jose's foot as a spiritual pure energy entity. He was perfectly fine. His foot wasn't deformed like it like it was in real life. Several of them said, I met my relatives. So what happened was they all had a near-death experience, but their EMSs, their electromagnetic souls frequencies, were all overlapping with each other, which enabled them to perceive each other And so for a period of time, they were all observing and witnessing the same thing, and then near-death experiences have a progression, and and that's why Hernandez and other hotshots proceeded to the next level, into the light, where they all encountered their loved ones in spirit who persuaded them to return. Near-death experiencers and researchers, we've been examining this now for decades and there are other examples of people who've had near-death experiences and deathbed visions where somebody is dying and people in close proximity to them see the spirits that the dying person is interacting with and it's the same principle. Those are known as shared death experiences as well in deathbed visions, because sometimes the distinction is blurred because one leads to the other. And this all has to tie into my theory of the electromagnetic soul and frequency overlap. And that's what happened with them, that's what happens in deathbed visions and shared death experiences. And this takes near-death experiences out of the realm of the subjective and into the objective, because more than one person is not only experiencing this, but giving accurate, detailed accounts which coincide and corroborate clearly with all the other accounts. Mm -hmm. We
0: normally hear about the brilliant light and these very deeply moving, positive experiences during the the near-death experience. But you write in the book that there are a small number of people who also experience a very unpleasant afterlife experience.
1: They do. Um, And it's uh, the DNDE, the distressing near-death experience. Two of my colleagues, Nancy Evans-Bush, she's the world's foremost expert on distressing near-death experiences. And my friend and colleague, Jim Bruton, um, he was a war correspondent and he was in a plane crash. And both of them had near-death experiences where they didn't go to this white light they went into a realm between the material world and the afterlife frequency that seemed to be more of a void but it wasn't you know the hellfire and brimstone and it appears that there is a zone in between the worlds but both of them received very profound messages which changed their lives and so they've been nicknamed the hellish NDE, because some people say, you know, they encounter negativity. and But the interesting thing about DNDEs, the distressing near-death experience, they give people unique perspectives, and they come away with it with not only a new lease on life, but wanting to make different and positive changes in their life. With Nancy Evans Bush, and this is not in my book, I mean, it's just because, you know, Nancy's a friend. She's uh, almost 90 years old now. She had a very difficult childbirth, and she essentially died during childbirth. And she said she saw herself above the earth in space, and these three disks came at her. And they were black and white and spinning. And she felt this total sense of void and nothingness and she was very frightened and then she came back and she didn't even know tonio what to make of it and for years she didn't tell anybody about it now nancy's a very highly educated woman she's i think she's got two master's degrees she's a beautiful writer amazing person great speaker and so she was looking for a job And she got hired at this college at the University of Virginia. And she walked in, and there was this young doctor there. And he said, before you do anything, take two weeks, read all these files. So she started reading the files. And she goes, oh, my God, this is what happened to me. She'd been hired by Dr. Bruce Grayson of the International Association for Near-Death Studies at the Division of Perceptual Studies back in the 1970s. This is before there was even the term near-death experience. That's why they were studying it there. What is this? What happens? And also Nancy said, wow, I got guided here. And not only was she like a secretary, she soon became a researcher and she served as president of the international association for near-death studies. And she's written quite a bit on this topic and lectured on it. And she said that there's not a hell in the archetypal sense. She said that this may be a life review, a wake-up call, or the way that the divine is getting you to explore a new path in life of the spiritual. And Jim Bruton, um, and this guy is just a really fascinating guy, uh, war correspondent, writer, he crashed a plane, went into this realm where everything looked technological not warm and fluffy and bunnies and angels and all that but like this cold stark technology and he received a similar message it got him away from doing the war correspondent and now he's teaching people you know all these beautiful things about the afterlife and finding inner peace and raising your consciousness So the DNDEs, the distressing near-death experiences, the hellish NDEs aren't necessarily, okay, you're going to a pit of sulfur and some guy with a pitchfork is sticking in the butt. Um, They're much more profound than that mythological construct.
0: So it's about a broadening of perspective of seeing things in a new way.
1: That's what it appears to be. And this is being studied more and more. About five, maybe ten percent of NDEs have these um, void-like. You know, it scares people. Of course, it scares people. You know, you think, okay, I'm dead. You want to see the angels and God and your deceased loved ones. I mean, I mean that that's what's what the expectation is. But then you may go into a very different realm. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's hell. In the archetypal sense.
0: So they talk about how many people at the point of death have this life review. And I would imagine that while having that, at some point during it, when you're seeing some of the less than uh, ideal things that you've done in the world and to other people, that you might have that kind of self reflective experience.
1: Absolutely. We get this in deathbed visions. We've mentioned it several times. Deathbed visions um, have been reported for thousands of years, and there's been a bit of a social stigma against talking about it. All right, here's what a DBV is. Somebody is dying. They're terminally ill, and they're, they're declining. And they begin to talk to and acknowledge spirits of their loved ones around them. Now, psychologists have passed this off as, okay, this is the side effect of a dying brain, except for the fact that people in close physical proximity, family members, dear friends, hospice workers, healthcare workers start to see these spirits too. And as the person actually dies, it becomes a shared death experience because people may see the room get brighter. They may actually see a transparent replica of the person emerge from the body. They may feel for a second a little bit dizzy and lightheaded like they're being lifted off their feet. They may hear indescribably beautiful music. They may even catch glimpses of the life review. Now I've experienced pretty much all of that because on a number of occasions I've been called to the bedsides of people who are dying and because the family wants me there and, and uh, it would just take too long to go through all of that um, but it helps many people when you can explain to them okay i'm getting these spirits and you just you describe who they are because it helps people realize that their loved one is transitioning and there are people who love them that are waiting for them but the thing is people who aren't mediums psych or psychic are experiencing this phenomenon this once again takes this out of the realm of the subjective into the objective and it's being reported not just in the united states and europe but in central and south america africa all throughout asia china um, iran has a branch of the international association of near-death studies iranian doctors are reporting this this is a global phenomenon It doesn't matter what religion you're raised in or if you're an atheist it doesn't matter if drugs anesthesia or a factor for the person who's dying so all of this is being quantified and this is all part of the study that we're doing which is proving that your consciousness your electromagnetic soul survives physical death
0: and one of the things that you say and that is backed up by quantum physics and and physics in general is that the electromagnetic soul is light or energy and that light doesn't get old or sick and it cannot die
1: exactly and that's very important for people to understand that our ems exactly what you just said tonio it's energy which doesn't get old sick tired or die the person that you loved who physically died did not disintegrate into nothingness. They live on in a higher frequency and they become part of something even greater than, than what we're aware of. They become, you know, connected to other souls. They still maintain their individuality, but now they have access to this vast amount of information. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that the afterlife frequency is, you know, because of the time of year that is, the holidays are very difficult for people facing these, you know, what's supposed to be wonderful, Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, New Year's. Uh, this is all supposed to be a happy time of the year for family. And many people are looking at, I don't have my loved one here. I lost my parents. I lost, you know, a child, you know, uh, I lost a sibling, a spouse. And just this to be very painful. And that's one of the reasons that the afterlife frequency is the ideal gift to give to somebody who's facing the holidays or facing life in general without a loved one, because it explains how life is eternal in a rational and logical way, but keeping faith, faith as a component of that. And I know if people wanna find out more about my work, sign up for my newsletter, contacting me for individualized readings, um, also, my show every week, The Psychic in the Dock, on Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I invite everyone to visit my website, afterlifefrequency.com. Same as the book, The Afterlife Frequency.
0: One thing that I found really fascinating that you went into was Carl Schwarzschild's quantum lattice theory of black holes and Evan Harris Walker's application of his theory and the implications of that for understanding consciousness?
1: Oh, boy, that's a pretty heavy-duty question. Yes. Um, The quantum lattice theory proposed by Carl Schwarzschild, a colleague of Albert Einstein, proposes that, and it's been proven in laboratories, that an electron disappears a quantum, which is electron, disappears from one location and reappears in another without traversing the matter in between. And this has been recreated in laboratories. And so it appears that the electron is going through a black hole. In other words, it's doing what's known as a quantum leap. You know, we all remember that show with Scott Bakula where he is quantum leaping all over. Well, this is the real thing. And quantum physicists have said that this explains what happens when we die is that our energy actually quantum leaps from this dimension to another dimension. And this is going on with us all the time. Um, You know, our electrons are popping back and forth between this dimension and the other. So that's why I always tell people, if you have a day where you don't feel like you're all here, well, you're not, (laughs) okay? Because part of you energetically is doing this quantum leap. And then when we physically die, the electromagnetic soul as an energy does that quantum leap from the material world to the other side, to the afterlife frequency?
0: Mm -hmm. Mark, it's been wonderful to talk with you. I've enjoyed this conversation so much.
1: Oh, thank you. You're a wonderful host and interviewer. It's been such an honor to be to be interviewed by you.
0: Mark Anthony is an Oxford-educated attorney, He's also a world-renowned psychic medium who communicates with the spirits of dead people. And he's the author of numerous books, including Never Letting Go, The Evidence of Eternity. And his new book that we've been talking about is The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life. Mark, again, thank you so much for being on the Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Oh, it's it my my honor, my pleasure. Thank you, and I want to wish everybody happy holidays and for those of you coping with the loss of a loved one um you know please accept uh, i know tonio and my deepest sympathy and condolences and don't go through it alone this is the time reach out for family and friends um surround yourself with people who are supportive and positive so many blessings and thank you again for having me on the show
0: That's it for this magical mystery tour. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other.